Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group, or Thursday night's Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. First, we're going to have a joke. Uh, my name is Tyler, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I have the privilege of reading the uh, a grape, uh, grape, A Rabbit Walks Into a Bar. Um, approved literature by the Grapevine, AA Grapevine, just in case you're wondering. And without further ado, one veteran AA says the trouble with two-stepping is that you usually combine the wrong parts of the first and the twelfth step, i.e., my, my life is unmanageable, and I'd like to share it with you. Thank you. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mark. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a minute to get situated. Please turn off or silence all devices that may make noise or distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God help you stay focused on the step study tonight. If everybody's ready, we're going to play the monk music and we're going to start the meditation. See you all in two minutes.
back. I'm going to leave with the fog light prayer. If you guys don't know, you can follow my lead or look up top. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. Someone's asked Alyssa to come up and read The Spiritual Experience. I know the name, not the face. There she is. Hey, Alyssa. We read this message because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Here's Alyssa. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thanks. Appreciate it. So, as always, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is, again, a tech-free meeting. Set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. Uh, I have the privilege tonight to be a 
floater chairperson and get to come up here and introduce Joe for his fourth session. Uh, Joe's a guy who's done many series here with us before. He's great. He's a guy that I've been following around when I hear that he's, to- he's speaking. Uh, I won't even come up here and say that he's got a great message. He just has the message. And if you've been around long enough, you know that the message is great. So Joe's going to come up here for his fourth session. I welcome you, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. continue that legacy, to build on that legacy for, for where he's at and who he's in the presence of. And um, so, yeah, we, uh, it's modeled after the big book seminars, the Joe and Charlie, Willie B., John Williams uh, seminars. And uh, so it's kind of like that format. Anyway, so let me grab my, uh, you're right, Mike, the, the lights aren't as bad because they're about 30 feet more away from my eyeballs. Now listen, last week some, some person said, God, where'd you get the hat? I said, well, I borrowed it from John. I went and pulled it off his head. And uh, John, I know John for a long time. I don't know if he's here tonight, but uh, they said, well, you look good. And that was it. You look. It said, it looks good. And, that, and that's all I heard. And I'm thinking, man, anything that makes me look good, anything that makes me look better than a 66-year-old guy with a bunch of wrinkles, limping and struggling, I'll take it. So I went out and bought this hat. And uh, you know how we are. Listen, that started a long time ago for me. It's kind of, kind of that, that place where I get these old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs that we're going to talk about tonight. You know, when I, I, think, I believe this, and I believe it with all my heart, um, Matter of fact, I I know it. That when we were born a long time ago, some more recently, one soon to be, uh, and uh, those of us that have lived for a lot of years, I believe we are the most spiritually perfect human beings that God created. I believe that our creator created us and had a design in mind, had a, a plan. And uh, I believe the attributes, you can only create something with attributes that you possess. So when, we're, when, when we were born, he, you know, I believe in my book, he says we were created in his image. So I speak about my God tonight. Um, but to be to be uh, a creation that has attributes and possesses certain truths within them, right and wrong, good and bad, um, needs, things of that nature. Um, I believe those, those are passed along into the, 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 the creation called mankind. And um, when I was little... I was, you know, I was, when I was an infant, I mean, listen, I I know we're born a little selfish because anytime we need something like food or milk or whatever, we're just, you know, we know how to do that, right? We know how to get the attention of people, especially mom. And, um, but as we start to grow up and start, our minds start to receive information, because you you know how little kids are. You got to love little kids. I mean, they make my heart sing. 
But I'm talking about the little ones. And they'll be in the store, they'll be here, they'll be, you know, wherever they're at. And they'll just be happier than can be. They'll just be dancing around, acting stupid, picking their nose, laughing, you know, that kind of thing. Because you know they haven't been adulterated yet. They haven't been contaminated with the things of this world. And that was my experience. I don't know when I started to be. I I just don't recall that time. Most of us don't. But I know that when my ideas and my old attitudes and my beliefs, I know when they were formulated. Our old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs just aren't pertaining to my conception of God. They're pertaining to everything. I'm grown up, I grow, I start growing up, I start being told things, instructed. Start being told what's uh, good and bad, right, wrong, indifferent, right? I start to, start to comprehend this information. And uh, usually that involves what, re- you know, what religion we're in and, and uh, you know, what's, what we, who we belong to and our family and where we're living, you know, I start to receive all this information and, I, and, and it formulates into this understanding of who I am and where I came from, right? Well, my first conception of God was really kind of what I heard, you know, so I got it through my ears. They say we have five senses that we, have, that we can hear, we can taste, we can feel, we can, we can touch, we can see. And we, you know, it's, so it's like, the five senses that human beings have is the only mechanism that we receive information and become educated, understand. And, and along with that, those beliefs are formulated by, our, out, by our, one of our five senses or by multiple senses. You know, you smell, smell something nasty as a kid. You say, I'm never, you, you don't say I'm never going to eat that again. You just don't ever eat that again. For me, it was uh, eggplant. The first time I ate it, I didn't have any judgment. I didn't have any perspective. I didn't have any uh, uh, thought about what it tastes like. I ate I, the first bite I took. I like, I, I just lost it. I have not eaten eggplant in sixty-five and probably eleven months. Sixty-five years, eleven months. I mean, that was it. And it was at a friend's house. I guess there's a reason my mom didn't serve eggplant. But nonetheless, you understand what I'm talking about here. So that was a pretty much an attitude. It's the way I felt about that stuff. I didn't like it, so why eat it? Right? Then came, uh, you know, other things. Uh, you know, we start to uh, have uh, information coming in where we may not like certain types of people. Now, I can only gather that information by what I see and what I hear. And it's usually from the people around me. I don't make it up. None of us do. And uh, what happened to me when I was born, I, I had all these just spiritual things. I mean, I, I wasn't contaminated with any of that stuff. I didn't have hate. I didn't know hate. I believe my creator was love, Right? And, and uh, I mean, or else why would he have created us? So I didn't ever, I never denied that there was a creator. But I got contaminated with a lot of attitudes, ideas, and beliefs that quite frankly, 
when you have when I have attitudes about something or things, they usually are get a response. Either a verbal response or a an eye response or maybe I just walk away. Or maybe I just go and then walk away and go, man, what a jerk. Right? So I reserve judgment because I incessantly want to be liked by people. That, that, that is key to me. That's why I got this hat. One of them. Not really. That's why I'm not wearing it. So we develop these things. We develop these attitudes. We develop these beliefs. So when I was a kid, we were sitting around a table, and I knew we went to church on Sunday. I mean, I know as a little boy, I, we had seven children, my mom and my dad. We'd, get, we'd gather on Sunday. We'd get in our, all dressed up, and it'd be like mama duck, papa duck, and all the baby ducks going into church, right? And um, I would hear things, and uh, we'd pray at dinner. We'd pray, at, you know, whenever we got together to eat, we'd pray before dinner. That was an absolute same prayer, though. I mean, it was, every, you know, not unfamiliar. But that was my conception. That was my original conception. A conception is nothing more than the original idea, the original understanding of something. The conception of whatever. But I'm talking about God tonight. Talking about this power that I come to call God. In this chapter, they even give him that name. But I knew his name was already God. I just knew that. So, when we talk about conception, the first time I ever had an understanding, a thought, uh, a verbal uh, description, was then. Right? Now, I started to rebel at a very early age. I started hanging with the wrong people. Because we, we get all these wonderful qualities born, given to us at birth, given to us as a, as a human being. And when, and, but here's the problem with that. We also were given self-will. Now, I suppose if God really wanted everybody to love him and adore him and worship him and praise him, He'd have made that right into the the plan. He would have knitted that in. You know what I mean? He'd have baked it in the cake. So we'd all be walking around like robots, you know, praising him. I mean, I'm very grateful that he uh, thought of me when he was putting this whole thing together. But there's only one way I can rebel against something I know. Because there's no way to rebel against something I don't know. I don't have an experience of it. I don't have a... Like, a, like if, if somebody was... Like the guys, when, you, when the old uh, shuttles used to go up, they, all the people that were in there, you know, they were, they were talking, and it was this whole, like, rocket scientist group. If you told me how to get up here and talk about rocket science, hey, listen, I don't have a judgment. I, I don't know it. I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't say anything about it because I have no experience of it. But when we talk about God, I don't think the adaptation of influential behavior from peers, from uh, teachers, from anybody that, that is having that conversation, and I'm in earshot, I never took one view or another. You know, I was kind of wishy-washy. I never really cared. And um, 
I say all that to say this, that self-will gives me the ability to draw judgment. It gives me the, ju- the ability to criticize. It gives me the ability to make up whatever I want. It gives me the ability to judge you for something. To be prideful. You know what I mean? To, to develop selfishness and self-centeredness and, and be consumed with me. And I get away from that infant that I was born to be. See, I was created to be him. And then I started to adopt and convolute and just start to, started to develop into the person that I was influenced by growing up. Stuff on TV, people, you know, all kinds of stuff. I got content. I got basically got indoctrinated with this little thing we call the world. And all of it. Right? Um, so when we're talking about attitudes, ideas, and beliefs, they come from the development of what's different than when I was born. And um, this chapter, this chapter we agnostics talks about. See, the first, the first doctor's opinion, we find out that we're powerless. We know exactly, we're, we know that we're going to die a death sentence because I can't stop when I start. And the worst part is I can't stop starting because of the obsession of the mind. You know, if you had that condition going on, like admitting I'm powerless over alcohol, that my life has become unmanageable, that condition, I'm dead man walking. I'm not coming out of it. I know that. We know that. We got evidence. Everybody's got evidence of their lives. I know that what my experience was, drinking and doing other stupid stuff, right? Going one way when I should have gone the other way. When I did something that, you know, got me in trouble. I, you know what I mean? I know I, I, I've got that evidence. So, um, I had to take a look. I, I have to take a look at that. Now, I know that that information, that evidence, if I marry it to what's in that doctor's opinion, I know I've lost the power to choose whether I'm going to drink or not. And they say, if you've lost the power to choose, then you're suffering, from a, you're suffering from something that only a spiritual experience will conquer. Hmm. So, you know, step one gives us the whole scenario of absolute powerlessness and death if it doesn't get interrupted. We've all had our lives interrupted or sitting here tonight. Someone, one, one form or another. Step two. Uh, so that's ch- the doctor's opinion. Then in chapters, uh, that chapter, as well as more about alcoholism, talks about the obsession of the mind in depth. But before we get to that, what we move into in, in step two is, is, is uh, you know, the need for power. That's the second chapter. The need for power. Because I am powerless. So that whole chapter is an argument to... That supports, you. well, if you're powerless and you're going to die from that, you need power. We all get that, right? And then, of course, it doubles down in more about alcoholism, chapter 3, where we go into the insidiousness of not being able to stop starting. Something happens. Something happens in our mind, given all the terrible destruction, all the devastation, all the annihilation of everything, the collateral damage, the children, the families, the the whole nine, criminal record, all that stuff, all right? 
Um, one would think that if I was to entertain putting the poison in my body that created all of it and will destroy me because I've read that stuff, would be crazy, wouldn't it? That's why they call it insanity in the second step. They're not talking about things that happen after I drink. They're talking about the things when I'm stole cold and sober. Right? Knowing I'm going to die from this thing and putting it in my body anyway. That's an argument. That's a good argument to have. Right? So, where do we go from there? Well, we go to this wonderful chapter. I believe it's the most brilliant piece of writing I've, I've ever read and studied. And they, what this does is that we know we're going spiritual. We know we're going vertical. Every, uh, all before this time, I'm doing everything for satisfaction, everything for comfortability, everything for relief horizontally. It's all here. So I was always looking here and never considered looking up hmm. until I was ready to take my life, until I couldn't stand me another second. You know what they say when, when you know, you're, you're busy doing that and, and you get to the end and you're, the first time you're able to look up because of sheer survival's sake and regret of things that I didn't do. When I look up, that's the only, that I find that that's the only place I need to be looking in the first place. So, we get to uh, really examine, if, now that we're knowing power, powerlessness, what, what, what I'm, you know, what's the next step is coming to believe, right? Embarking on this journey where I get to come to believe in this power. And, uh, so, Bill and his divinely implemented wisdom, I believe this was all granted insight, divine insight. How could somebody that was a stock manipulator, that's what John used to call him. <laughs> he was a stock, you know, speculator, right? And he was pretty good at it. John called him stock manipulator. How can anybody that's consumed with that, where their champions are guys that are filthy rich, you know, nice things, golf courses, tan, you know, that stuff, the hat, that's what, like this, right? Always trying to help myself look better, feel better, what have you. Um, we, we have to examine the belief system, don't we? Because obviously there's, there's millions of that have come in to Alcoholics Anonymous. And if we come in, we're coming in with a belief system, no matter how confusing or uneducated or brilliant or doesn't matter who you are, it could be a priest, nun, a minister, it could be anybody. But when we get here, we have a relationship with God. I did. I, ha- I didn't have a relationship with God. I just had a concept of God. And um, regardless of how profound or ignorant it was, Ignorance just means without knowledge, right? Doesn't mean stupid, just means without knowledge. That uh, the fact is this, that if you're dying from alcoholism, you can't stop drinking. You can't stop starting. That relationship that you think you have, or that understanding we think we have, 
is strangely insufficient to overcome alcoholism. Imagine that. We're powerless over it. Now I tell you, John told me, he says, well, let me tell you, you know, it's probably what you, what you harbor inside that makes that very difficult. So what they do is they go into this discussion of what, what this internal condition is of me. Remember when I was a little kid? Well, it started to get really, I started to get really uh, possessed of a lot of negative attitude. I did a lot of bad things. I did a lot of things I regret. A lot of things that I have remorse about. A lot of things that um, I swore would never see the light of day. I hurt people. I stole from people. I was a habitual liar when I got here. I didn't know how to tell the truth. How do you tell the truth about that to anybody and not be judged? So I had this internal condition, but when I did all those acts and I started acting in ways that was so opposite of what my folks had taught me to be, not hanging it with God, but just as a foundational family thing, right, wrong, courteousness, respect, consideration, politeness, responsible, right? That um, those have manifestations. When you start lying to people and you gain people, I can, I mean, it was horrendous towards the end. Nobody, I had nobody. Family of, a wonderful family brought up in a pretty decent way, I think. Had, a, had gone to school and, and, and was put through, I mean, I, I was put through grade school and high school, and then I, I put my way through college. I was sent out to Houston, Texas. No, don't let that fool you. I was sent. I was told, get out. And that was my only alternative. So they said, so I went. But um, I started having these, this darkness grow inside me. I started to feel different from people. And I started to feel that if I, I was going to get anything horizontally with you in the way of satisfaction, love, applause, recognition, validation, um, it would have to come from someone other than me. Do you understand? It couldn't come from me voicing the real me to you or showing up in the real me to you because I knew how I felt about, felt about me. And my God, I'd never get nothing from you if you felt the same way. If I revealed that to you, you'd say, right? Understandably. So what happens? I start putting all the masks on. I became the, the actor that they talk about in this book. I became the person that would be who I assumed you wanted me to be. And it could be, there could be, you know, all different kinds of people. And I had an act for every one of them. I was such an imposter and a phony to, the, to you all, my family. I was lying about everything, right? So I wasn't, I wasn't being honest or any genuine or transparent because I couldn't be. Because I was on the, I was in, on the path of take, I would become a taker. I was selfish, self-centered. I wanted what I wanted. And, and if I couldn't steal it, I'd game you for it. I had a game for everything. So I become a natural, or not a natural, because it wasn't who I was born to be. I became an extreme phony and a fraud. 
So what in God's name do I do with this? Well, I didn't know I had that. I thought everybody did that. I thought everybody was acting. Hey, how you doing? I'm great. How you doing? I'm great. And be dying inside. Feeling filthy inside. To the point where I couldn't look in the mirror. But I didn't know any of that. Up until I met my teacher. Until God sent me the teacher that I would... All of a sudden, and I believe everything is, is, is given. It, it, at the right time and at the right moment, all of a sudden, a man comes into my life where I'm paying attention and I'm listening and I'm studying and I'm following, around, following him around like a shadow. I, and listen, we go all over, but he go on these seminars. I just wanted to carry his briefcase. I just wanted that much from this man. Because he, he represented everything that I really, really desired to have that I'm sure I was born with back in the day. And I'd become so alienated from that and so distanced from that. I had no idea who I was supposed to be anymore. But he represented that. He represented the opposite of who I was. And he started teaching me. He taught me everything I knew about being a man and being accountable and responsible and developing integrity and keeping your word. I didn't have a word when I got here. I didn't know what that felt like. I didn't know what it felt like to be an honorable guy. I didn't know what it felt like to have integrity, to be honest and on time and, you know, and, and be present for other people. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what the feeling would be behind it. All I knew was, all I had was the complete opposite as a baseline. So I had to be deconstructed. This thing's about, you know, we talk about what we receive in this program. I like to talk about the things that were taken away from me and gifted at that, right? The things that I came in here with that have been removed from my life because I've been given a program to actively pursue a change, and um, so I listened and I studied this guy and, and John was, uh, he was just a champion. You know, he was just one of those guys, came from, came from the sponsorship of Wesley Parish, who guy and I know, and I don't know him, he, you know, he, he talked about him. And, but I, all I know is this, that he really introduced a big book to South Florida, one of the main champions of the book and uh, main teachers, main champions. And so when John would talk about these things, I really, I was so, I had such an appetite and such a desire because I had, I got here by wanting to die. I hated my guts when I got here. I mean, I literally had the game out, the plan out. I had concocted it in my head how I was going to do it. And um, so he started to teach me and, 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 and hold me accountable. You know, I, I had had sponsors in the past. I was 16 years in and out, detox, retox mode, right up here on Barrow Boulevard. S-O-C, street of choice. You know I mean, I have drug of choice. But it's street of choice. It was my street of choice. And I only got that because I was kicked out of West Palm Beach. My family said, leave. We're not taking another minute of this. We can't help you. God knows they tried. It's hard to admit you can't help somebody. It's hard to admit you don't have the power to do that. It's hard to admit that. So, 
I, I told him, I said, John, I just want to know what it's like to feel that I'm honest. I need to know how to tell the truth. And I need to know why to tell the truth. It worked for me for a lot of years, but I got a lot of negative results and a lot of negative payoffs for it. They're sure to happen. They can't not happen. And, um, well, he said, just, just start telling the truth, Joe. What do you got to lose? Like, you're here at the, you're here at the end of a life. Why don't you begin a new life? And it's like, don't be one of those that say, well, you want me to tell you the truth? Like, no, I want you to lie. I mean, I have that happen all the time. But that was me. But I wanted to know what the benefit was, what the reward was. But I didn't know the reward until I started to tell the truth and be honest with people. Rather than concoct some lie or fabrication or embellishment, right? I wanted to know the re- what, what, what happened. And he, he says, you never have to remember what you said. And you never have to look over your shoulder if you're acting out in other ways. If you're acting out in integrity. If you're acting out, if you develop these skills, if you develop these ways of being, you'll never have to be looking over your shoulder. I said, well, that's a good payoff. I really would like to have that. I want to know what it's like to have people respect me. I want to know what it's like to have people Love me for who I am rather than who I'm not. The guy that I always had to be so that you would like me, so you'd think highly of me, you'd pay attention to me, you'd, you know, you'd think I'm popular, you'd think I'm, you know, all that. And that was hard work, man, being a phony and an imposter. But then it became second nature. It was, guess what? I became that guy. Whoever I was talking to, I was... I was so good at what I was doing, I thought, I mean, that was a response, that I get what I want, what I thought I wanted from that person. But there was always a motive. There was never, it was never pure, it was never authentic, never real, who I was being with them. I was there to not, I wasn't there for a friend. Like, you know, you ask a homeless person, a lot of homeless people, you say, hey, can I get you some food? No, I don't want any food. Or, yeah, they'll say, yeah, but then they're gone when you get back. Or... Uh, let me be honest with you, man, I just need a beer. Okay, let me give you a f- couple bucks. Like, you know, it's, you respect that truth in a world of lies and deception. And I was part of it. Seemed to be working, but it wasn't. It was actually digging my, my grave. So, you know, I, this phony form of, of, of being was really taking its toll on me. I felt like such a wretch on the inside. I felt worthless. I felt like dirty, filthy. You name it. I just, I didn't, and and I didn't think I'd ever be forgiven for who I was being at that time. I didn't think that, how could anybody, and you know why I didn't think anybody would forgive me? It's because I couldn't forgive me. I couldn't forgive those acts when I was Finally saying to myself, I'm going to begin a new life. And little did I know, there's a, there's a step, a couple steps for that too. But I had to dig deep. I had to know who threatened me, what threatened me, and what was the gas? What was the, uh, what was the energy source behind it? And we know those as defects. 
greed, lust, pride, envy, sloth, inconsideration, lying, selfishness, self-centeredness to the core. See, selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of all our trouble. It says it in this book, but I know it to be true. Because from it stem the actor, the liar, the cheater, the, you know, the, the, just that guy. That's what it represents. That self-will is, <laughs> oh boy. It allows us to do whatever we want. But understand, understand this, no matter what we do. So sometimes we do a lot of things that get us very, very bad consequences. Thinking it's right at the time, but we can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes we have to, I say we, I mean, I think humanity is, at least I, I, I see a broader picture when I, when I think of this, because you see it left and right every time you turn on TV. Or you're going somewhere. So, I had to, he said, well, Joe, he says, okay, so I get it. And we talked about a few other things. He says, here's your first assignment. I was looking for somebody not only to get in my face and give me the blunt truth, because I had always sought out these nice, these people I thought would be nice to me and understand me and tolerate me and listen to my stories, and you know, which is nothing more than a, a whole fabricated story to ensure that you're going to believe what I'm saying without question. I got to give you the backdrop. I used to have to give you the backdrop for everything. Call it the story, the cover story. I would walk in with a nice face, smile on my face, and I'd paint you all kinds of good and then hit you with the, with the closer, the clencher, the hook. Well, could, you know, I, listen, I'm down on my luck. And I have to go into this long, I'm down on my luck and I don't have a job and I've been really struggling. Can you, can you help me out? I could have said that in one second. But it took 15 minutes to get there to ensure that you would give me that money or that whatever. Or that slap on the back. Or that smile. That acknowledgement. That applause. Whatever it was. Oh, man. It was, uh, it was an education. I got my PhD, or PhD, in being a master of deception. That's who I was. And I didn't, I didn't, couldn't label it at the time, but I found it out. Especially when I did that four step. But I had to know why I'm doing a four step. Right? You know, when we uh, come to that place of making a decision, they're giving us all the ammunition we need to make that decision. To make either a, a super effective decision or a, a nonverbal decision or intention that, I'm, you know, yeah, turn my will and my life over to the care of God and, you know... Like have no no clue as to the, the 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 what that looks like. So I you know yeah sure absolutely well the next person would ask me well how long has it been since you've uh, seen your sponsor I said ah long time ago months ago but I'd lie and say a week ago. They say well what step are you on I say step three. Well how long have you been on step three six months that's what the normal result right. Four or five months. Thinking. Because I'm. Not giving credit to them being knowledgeable about anything. They're probably dummies just like me. Yeah, four months. 
So it took you that long to make a decision. That wasn't a decision, Joe. That was nothing more than an intention. Everything that I decided to do and didn't do were nothing more than intentions. Boy, I'll tell you what. Well, I decided to stop drinking. I decided to quit. I decided to stop stealing. I decided to do this. I decided to do that. But they were intentions. And I would, every time it came up in conversation at a later date, I said, well, I tried to. Listen, I tried to do this. Or I'll blame it on the sponsor. Or I'll blame it on my family. Or I'll blame it on my past. It doesn't matter what I blame it on. Because I'd become the consummate victim. It all happened to me. But I didn't realize it was to me by me. I was the author of everything that I experienced badly in my life. And I took a lot of too much credit for the things I did good. And they were few and far between. But I was always looking for that pat on the back, man. Right? I was always looking for that recognition and being given. Listen, I couldn't give a positive answer on the decision. But I sure wanted credit for that intention. It would, it would stir a lot of arguments for me. Well, you don't understand, man. My sponsor had to go out of town. Whatever the excuse was, there was always an excuse or, you know, fabrication of the truth. So, John said, look, here's what a decision is. You decide, you do. Same thing in here. If I'm going to decide to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, how do I do that? Why do I do that? Why do I need to do that? Well, the first thing is, is I need to get off the throne that belongs to my God. And stop playing life horizontally as God of my life. And a lot of times I want to be the God of your life. And I wanted to die at the end because I hated my freaking guts. So I wanted something other than me making decisions in my life. And I believe that's why God put my sponsor in my life. Without question. I know, I don't believe he put him. I know he put him in my life. There's no more believe this, believe that. It starts with belief. But it develops into faith if you continue to do the work. If I continue to do the, and it turned it, now I know. I know for sure. So when he put him into my life, I was crystal. And John says, the book says when you make that decision, that there's got to be certain, John said, you got to have certain displays, you know, that will really kind of show him. I mean, you're calling on him, made a decision to turn my will, which is my thoughts, And my life, which is my actions, my life comes from my thoughts over to the care of God as I understand him. Without knowing God, without having faith in God, what's my answer to be? Well, after all the information they've given me here, how well is what I've been doing working out for me? I was ready to die. I was ready to take my life. Wasn't working out too good. This whole brilliant ability, talent, skills to figure it out. So, what am I doing based on that decision? Made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Well, what do I, in my own mind, I'm thinking, what do I do? Go back to church. Maybe I got to recapture that religion and, and, and method that I never recovered on. Um, Maybe I, you know, maybe I should try something different, like, you know, go to temple or go to the top of a mountain and just breathe it in or whatever. I, how do you have a concept of where to go? 
John says, man, he says, it's really, really easy. Matter of fact, you don't have to make it up anymore. I was making it all up. I was making everything up about everything. Makeup artist. And um, John says this. He says, look, you're in the book that's called the textbook, a book of instruction as it's defined by Merriam-Webster. And he says in a couple, and it says in a couple places that where in a, where in a, how am I to find this power? And he says, well, that's exactly what this book is all about. It's where millions have found it. There's millions of of individuals that are that are transformed completely, that live in the world of the spirit. Small percentage, but there are that absolutely have that belief now. And this is the first hunter talking about it. These first 100 said this. That they flatly declare that since they have come to believe, we begin with belief. In a power greater than themselves to take a certain attitude toward that power. Commit, right? Commit. Commit means commit coupled with discipline and obedience and, uh, you know, Obedience, right. I mean, it, it, it takes certain things, certain ingredients to really um, begin this journey. It takes action. That uh, It says, to take a certain attitude toward that power that I'm not going to be God anymore. I'm, I've, miserably, I've failed miserably at this whole direction thing and this whole, this whole uh, uh, philosophy of life that I, you know, always thought was adequate <laughs> i have the criminal record to show that it wasn't adequate at all and i have been estranged from my family and kicked out of the city that i was born in but the attitude that i i possess now and the attitude i needed to take was one that was told to me by my sponsor a willingness to believe i have to i'm going to ask myself am i do i now believe or am i willing to at least willing to believe well, why wouldn't I be willing? I wanted to check out. And most people are at the end of the road when they get here. Most people, like me, have run out of any good ideas or ideas of thinking I know what I need to do. You know, we got to get, I, I had to get that out of my language. I had to get that out of my mind. I didn't know what I needed to do. I had no evidence to support it. None. That attitude, that I'm going to turn my will in my life, my thoughts and my over to the care of God as I understand Him. And I'm and, and listen, I'm just I'm willing to because I'm dying. John's instructing me, and I know he's a godly man. I, I believe him. I trust him. So what did I have to lose? Nothing. And here's the easy part: that once we make that decision to do so, the question of how to display it to God. We're asking God. To please take my life. We're inviting him into my. I'm inviting me in. I'm inviting him into my life to change me. Right? Why wouldn't? Why would? Why would that not be a good idea? See, that's the call. And I believe over the years, I was called all a lot, but I never chose. I never decided. 
John said the only way to validate a decision is to act. The action validates the decision as a as an intended, you know, as a decision, as something that you're deciding to do. Right? So if I'm doing that, the very next thing I'll be doing, if I want God in my life and, and, and I want to be under his care, is 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 they, they, they have a timeline for it. It's next. Next, we launched. Set forth with velocity. That's what that means. We launched into a vigorous course of action. The first step of which is a personal house clean. See, I thought I came in here thinking I was going to fix all you guys. I got to fix it. You know what I mean? It's like my, I was a victim. It was everybody else's fault. I'm blaming everybody for everything. John says I had a V etched in my forehead. So, how do I display that I really desire his care? You know, somebody that's not an alcoholic or drug addict or suffering from an addiction to whatever, if you don't have that, I guess this would be a nice, entertaining conversation to have with somebody. Or I feel I'm perfectly situated with my whole state of affairs, especially when God's concerned. But I'm dying I have given up, hopefully. And hopefully it looks like this. Because for many years it was like this. I'll, all right. <laughs> I'll hang out with you guys for a little bit. I'll uh, go to them meetings for a little while. You know, I'll, I'll learn how to repeat stuff and parrot stuff and act like a good boy. But I got to get that job first, you know. Got to have that job. I was, just, I was voicing all the things that I was putting ahead of God. Got to have some money in my pocket, man. I got to get that. You know, that little girl sent me a smile from that meeting. and I know it's real. Or in, in treatment, even worse. Yeah, I'm in love, right? In treatment. Two brokens. Two completely broken people. Thinking this is the one. She smiled at me. Denzel Washington says, yeah, and she, then she, you got the U-Haul, right? And you, next thing you know in your mind, you're playing it out. It's like, U-Haul's backing up to her house, and we're, we're going off into the sunset. We're having babies and everything. And I haven't even known, I haven't gone on a date with her. This is just all made up stuff. So, what is the display? The book says, once we have decided that we're going to place ourselves in the care of God, view him as our father, our director, our agent. We're his agents. He's the boss. He's the father. I'm his child. Thank you. Um, and then at the end of the agnostic says, next, next. We launched out on a course of vigorous action. See, I thought I was out here. Now they're telling me I got to go do a deep dive. I got to get real. I got to get truthful. Matter of fact, I thought I got to get exposed. All this is going to come out. Yeah. What do you got to lose? Well, <laughs> since you put it that way, not much. So I lied on the first few. But when John got a hold of me, 
I was ready to reveal everything because I didn't care about the blowback. I didn't care about what you thought. I didn't care about what you would say. I didn't care about being ostracized. I didn't care about none of it. I cared about living and possibly having the, the, the opportunity to have a decent life, to be a decent man. To have gladness in my heart. To have confidence in me. To have his power within me. To have that channel. Unadulterated. Un, 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 uh, I mean, just an open channel. I wanted that. That's what I wanted. I wanted peace in my life. I wanted reconciliation. I wanted forgiveness. I can't give that to me. I can't. Make up that I how to get it, and I was I had resentments with m- almost everybody, whether they were made up or not. I still thought you were judging me. You had to you had to know I was a dirt bag. I mean, I'd be walking down the street. I was the kind of guy walking down the street, seeing a couple come the other way, and as our paths cross, they burst out into laughter. I knew they were laughing about me. What a loser. You know why? Because I felt like a loser. I felt certainly like a failure, especially in this thing called recovery. Drinking, not drinking, going to meetings didn't work for me. Abstinence didn't work for me. Nothing I tried worked for me. But I never tried this. So I exposed everything. I wrote it down. And it was easy because all I had to do one exercise was make the list of people. Being the good victim I, had, I was, make a list of people. That pissed me off. <laughs> Woo, I was done. So all I had to do was go from top to bottom, list all those people, all those places, those attorneys, those hospitals, those cops, and this and that. That was easy. That was easy being a victim because I, I knew that place. Then the next column got a little even more dicey. What did they do to make you mad? Oh, boy. Huh. You don't forget that stuff. Isn't that amazing? You forget any of the good. But all you can remember is what people did to you. That's easy because that's all you remember. That's all I remember. When I say you, I mean me. Then I had to check some boxes in the middle column. Central column. Remember, central to everything. And there are these defects of, these, the, 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 the instincts of character. And, and, and it doesn't have a real good, it doesn't have a lot of information uh, in the big book. So you go to 12 and 12, it tells you exactly why creation God gave us these instincts of character. Right? These personal instincts, keep yourself in good health and to, you know, to be uh, reasonably secure in your ability to work and perform and, and do stuff. Then, of course, is that financial, the emotional security, excuse me, emotional security. Ooh, I was an emotional cripple. I was broken in a million pieces when I came in here. I had no emotional contentment or peace. I had no ease and comfort. I didn't have any ease and comfort since I was a little boy. Started learning all this other stuff, and do, going the wrong way. Right? Check, check, check. Financial, check. Romance, check. Ambitions, check. These are the things that have, that were affected by what they did to me. But man, I'm telling you, if I just stop with there, if I look in the big book and I see that that template for the first three columns. And only do those three columns? Guess what, how I walk out of that? A victim. Same guy. Doesn't change a bit. He just gets to hold everybody else responsible. But it doesn't go that way. Those other two columns are explained in the book precisely. 
What did you do to set the ball rolling? What did you do that could have been done differently? Basically, what was I responsible for in that relationship with that individual? And I mean, well, I, I lied. I stole. I cheated. I manipulated. I was a drunk. I was, I was a no-show. Low, you know, low, a no-show. I was a no-pay, slow to pay. No, I was a no-pay. I had beaten everybody that I gamed to give me something. That's what I did. That's how I was responsible. And what were the motivating factors? Well, in consideration, lying, selfish, self-centered, extreme, self-absorbed, slothful, prideful, gluttonous. All the seven deadlies. But it all stems from the one tree of selfish self-centeredness. From those branch three other very specific defects. Lying. Self-centered. Don't care about other people. And consider it. And then from those, another spider web. All the seven deadly sins. And on and on and on. I was a walking, talking bag of defect. That's what, that's what. That, so we get to the end, we get from the beginning to the end, and I'm looking back and I'm going, that was me, that was me. I had been hiding that forever. So next week we'll kind of get into the four-step a little more because it's, it, you can't go anywhere without it. You can't go forward without it. You go backwards with it, but you can't go forwards with it. And they say you can't coast uphill, right? So we're going to continue to coast downhill, and we're just going to rock and roll. And uh, hope you enjoy the night. And I, I am so appreciative and grateful for you allowing me to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Can we give the speaker one last final round of applause? Now I'm going to bring up our floating secretary. Hello. Hi, I'm your float. Ooh, hello. Uh, we're going to start off real quick with, first of all, baskets are going to go around in honor of the seventh tradition. I got, uh, someone's too, uh, too quiet about himself to talk about his anniversary, but I got... Steve's going to give uh, someone a, me- a medallion. Here we go. <laughs> Just got um, a recovered alcoholic, Steve. Hey, Steve. <clears throat> I've known Joe about the same 10 years, and, and I, uh, I was asked to present him a medallion tonight before the meeting, which led me sitting through the meeting thinking of all the good things I could say in, in the time I've known Joe, what he's done for me and, and for my friends and for my family. Mom's sick, dad's sick. Joe's been a guy in my life that I could always turn to um, for direction and strength and a guy that wasn't, uh, wasn't afraid to let me know when I, was, uh, when I was not doing what I needed to do to walk the road that I'm on. Um, and I, I, I landed with a story about Joe getting a hold of me in a place that people don't get phone calls. And I'd... Uh, I'd landed on rough times and was sitting in a jail cell, and I'd sent Joe a postcard that said I wanted to come to, to a place uh, and get help when I got out. And 
and I put a date on there, and that date came and went. And then they said, Sadler, phone call. And everybody in the pod looked at me and said, phone call. And, uh, and somehow Joe's, Joe's call got through, and he said, where you at? And I said, Joe, you called me. <laughs> They're not letting me go. And he said, I just wanted to make sure you're okay and come by when you're done. And, and you know, I'm forever grateful for everything that you've taught me and, and all the ways that you've shown me how to do this. So come get eight. Um, Microphone. What? Microphone. Oh, sorry. Please. All right. Is it better? So, uh, thank you, Steve, and um, congratulations to anybody that's celebrating, uh, or you know of anybody. Listen, this whole thing, you know me, you know my heart, and uh, I have never been more incredibly in awe every day of how much he lets me know he loves me. He adores me in spite of me. I so, not just need him, I so want him. And uh, that's all come as a result of what I was talking about. I mean, it's all come from that. I'm talking about stuff that, from a different human being than I was used to thinking about, right? So, the whole, the whole thing about this deal is that you come in a taker, like me. I come in a taker. I have God's hand placed, or my hand placed in God's hand by my sponsor coaching me through this work and holding me accountable and all of a sudden at some point I realize that everything becomes a get to Hi I'm Mike Jason I'm the recovery alcoholic secretary for tonight baskets have been passed correct um, every group shall be fully self-supporting declining outside contributions um, I've asked James to come up and read our recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, what it exactly means to be recovered alcoholic. Let's get... Hi, James. James, alcoholic. <laughs> recovered. We are not cured from alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. The presets... It, that presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcoholics centers in the mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now, we are now saying where alcohol is concerned Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, James. From the fourth to the second edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25 sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, the, the, those who stayed with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, and come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus success rate. Does anybody need a sponsor tonight? Just raise your hand. We got a person in the back. Want to stand up real quick so they can look at you? Not to make you feel uncomfortable, but to make you feel uncomfortable. Thanks. So let's get some people to that person after the meeting, please. Can I see a show of hands of the recovered alcoholics? 
If your hand's not up, I suggest you hang out with the people whose hands are to help you get back to God. Um, this is the last meeting of the month. Besides Joe, is anybody else celebrating a year or more? If you could stand in place and tell us your name and how much time you have, we'd appreciate that. So any anniversaries in the month of October? Let's give a round to the shy people. Please join us Monday nights at the Big Book Study Meeting where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30. Big Book starts at 7.15. We just got a couple quick announcements. Intergroup is where you buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for greeting our where and when and scheduling of the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Um, if you need some opportunities for volunteers, reach out to those people. They're always looking for people to help out. Next slide. Broward County Institutions Committee. They are responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to get to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12-step house. Do we have any BCIC members here tonight? This gentleman here, Shane, right? Sean. Uh, Talk to him after the meeting for information, if you like. Uh, Let's see. There's some upcoming service opportunities. Flyers are in the building next door in a cabinet. See me afterwards. Uh, there are some other upcoming events. What do we got? Joe B's here for the rest of the, till December. Next. Uh, a Big Book Monday night, Big Book study is at 7.15. Join us across the street on the third floor. Uh, let's see, that's about it. One more thing. We have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, and little books in a cabinet next door. If you need anything, give me a holler after the meeting. We meet every Thursday starting probably at 7.15, across the street in the fellowship hall. This is just a one-night deal for us. Please show up on time and be ready at the Road to Recovery tune. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, the, I don't have the, the thing. So it, Once again, I'll announce Monday night we meet over there. Third floor of the building where Joe and Charlie come alive. If you guys want to thank Joe, you can line up down the center. He'll be up here. Thank him for a great message that he carried tonight. And we'll all be here next week. Or we'll be across the street next week in the normal room. Uh, 7.15 it starts. 6.30 is when fellowship starts. And thank you all for coming out. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Warrant in heaven. Hallowed be by name. The kingdom come, and it will be done.
trying Shine, 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Thank you very much.